Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Dr. Kate Ballastieri's body of work is vast, but her goals as a psychologist and therapist are focused on helping people build resilience over what ails them and move from a position of pain and discomfort to one of thriving holistically in their lives. Driven by her desire to smash stigmas about mental health and sexuality, Dr. Kate has been providing safe, inclusive spaces for people to get access to education about sensitive topics such as our mental health and the quality of our relationships. And that means healthy relationships, healthy sex, true intimacy, and connecting with our own sexual power and pleasures. She'll tell you that sex positivity is an attitude toward human sexuality that regards all consensual sexual activity as healthy, encouraging sexual pleasure and experimentation because it's natural, but it gets complicated. So we're going to talk all about it. Dr. Kate is in my heart. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Heather. I can't tell you how excited and honored I am to be here with you today. Well, I love doing this podcast because of people like you and because of subject matter like this. You know, I meet along my walk of life, fortunately, and as do so many people, so many interesting people mm -hmm. that you can have sometimes random conversations with or sometimes very needed conversations, even with someone you've just met. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Doc, let's talk about it. Let's talk about sex <laughs> because, I mean, listen, we're going to talk about a lot with you because, mm -hmm. as I mentioned in the in the opening, your body of work is vast. I mean, mm. for clinical and forensic psychology, I mean, you've gone as far as you can in your education. <laughs> um, but I, I really feel like you must have found through all the work that you're doing that you know, people having healthy relationships and intimacy and this healthy sex that we're talking about is a really big topic that's not discussed enough. And you grabbed onto that. So let's jump right in it. What do you see that people really need to work on? Well, one of the things that I see pretty consistently is that for the most part, people want healthy relationships, but it's not something that we're really educated on or trained to do. You know, we learn about arithmetic, we learn how to spell things, we learn how to drive a car. There are courses that we take to do these very basic life things, but we don't get a lot of solid education about emotional intelligence or relational intelligence. And I think those really underdeveloped areas of our human development show 
though, because we get into our adult lives and there's loneliness and there's fear and people don't want to hurt others for the most part. So we get really messy and clumsy in how we interact with each other, which then amplifies those those wounds of loneliness and, and feeling really hurt. So I think I see that people want the same things more often than not, they don't know how to get there often, or the way that they approach it might be different, which can create some, you know, uh, uncertainty with one another. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things, but one of them is, is triggers too, right? There's mm-hmm. triggers in our lives that sometimes will take us back to mm-hmm. something that affected us in our childhood that we don't, we didn't even recognize at the time potentially, mm-hmm. right? There's things as you're, as you grow an adult and communicating, these feelings or these fears or uncertainties becomes crippling for so many people because we fear what we don't understand, right? Well, right. And so often those triggers are actually rooted in things that we don't have conscious or verbal access to in our memory banks. So sometimes we have a feeling or we have um, something that arises within us and we don't even have words to put to it. So how do you communicate that sometimes? Right. And we don't understand it. And, you know, I mean, I've said this before on my podcast, you know, therapy and psychology and counseling like that is hard work. Yeah. You know, you don't go in there and like leave like you want to skip to the my loop. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's deep work because you have to mm-hmm. understanding yourself is really where it all begins and ends. And I yeah. think I mean, at my 52 years, I was so carefree in my youth. Like I had no. Mm. I don't know, relation or connectivity truly to self. Mm -hmm. I was confident. I was hungry. I was happy, but I didn't, I didn't recognize later in life. You know what I mean? What I would recognize that I was alone too much as a child, that these Mm. things hit me, you know, because I was capable, right? Right. Right. We get sometimes things put on us and, and it turns into something that affects all walks of our lives, right? The way we communicate, the way someone talks to us and how we receive that information. Yes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think. And then obviously one of the easiest things to do, but one of the hardest things to do is to have sex. Mm-hmm. So we, with, <laughs> right, with the, I mean, it can be really easy, but it can be really complicated. <laughs> and so there's true. that very fine line between love right. and hate. I mean, that's really right. a truly fine line. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be in a long-term relationship. It can be in a new relationship mm-hmm. where you think everything's good or you're thinking one thing and the other person's thinking another. It's like that classic, like, is he going to call me? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, you talk about 2022 being about integration mm-hmm. and that we compartmentalize sex, but sex should be integrated into life. How do we get there? Talk about connecting with our own sexual power and pleasure as well and the benefits of this, because that's really starting with self, right? It really is. And I so appreciate this question because it, it's something that I think is abstract and hard for people to really hold on to and think about putting into action. But when you get really curious about the ways that we are socialized to experience sex in ourselves yep. and experience sex relationally, and then experience sex as this kind of amorphous function of human behavior that lives out in, in, in the world that we just all sort of relate to it's, it's confusing. And so I think when we 
start to think about integration, it's important to remember that when we are growing up, we often hear a lot of messages to shut it down or that's not appropriate and keep this quiet, keep this part of you over here in this section of your life. Oh, it's only okay here. But what that does is I think denies the reality that our sexual energy is often related to so many other kinds of energy within us, our creative energy, our loving energy, our ability to be expansive and and sex as adults is a form of play. So when we're saying that we've got to keep this part of ourselves sectioned off over here behind closed doors, locked and behind a big curtain only to yeah. be brought out in certain moments, we're really saying shut down all of that other vitalized energy within. And so my whole philosophy is about making that a part of yourself actively. Now, I'm not suggesting that you engage in boundaryless sexual behavior in places no, where it's not okay. The grocery store, please. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but allow your sexuality to live within you because that creates all kinds of really connected fluency within yourself and your relationship with self is that much more vibrant. I love that you say that because I think that there is a big problem in society right now about these barriers and bumpers that we put on people. Yes. And it really came out when women really started talking about, you know, me too. And, yes. you know, that sort of thing. I always say to, you know, in my generation, we called it grabby, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh-huh. you know, there's a lot of things that are changing that give mm-hmm. us a, an open space to discuss. And that's a good mm-hmm. thing. But what I was going to say is, is that first of all, men and women think differently when it comes to sex. I mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. what I've learned, but I don't know if it's entirely true. I know that I need to be connected emotionally to someone, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yes, I can have sex just to have sex because, Mm -hmm. you know, it feels good and all that stuff, but there has to be a physical attraction or some type of an emotional connection. I don't know that that's necessarily true for men. Is there a difference between the two? Well, that's I think one it's... question. <laughs> and I want to go back to society yeah. barriers and talking about what we can talk about and what we can't talk about and yeah. putting things in a box. Because when I was talking about the Me Too movement, so sure. even in a movie like when Erin Brockovich came out and she mm-hmm. dressed really sexual and it was a big part of the movie and Erin Brockovich, the true person, Julia Roberts playing her. And it felt it, it was, she wasn't dressing like that for the people in her office. She was dressing mm-hmm. like that for herself and empowered right. her. And well, that opened up something for me that said, like, who am I or anybody to put barriers or boundaries on what's appropriate as a woman? I'm a little bit more conscious, but I feel better about myself if I'm not like all out. But mm-hmm. some people find a lot of power in that. So those are the two things that I want to talk to you about, men and women and uh-huh. men heavy sexuality versus like, you know, a meek sexuality and being able to appreciate both. Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up. And and the example of Aaron Brockovich in this movie is a great one because so many people are familiar with that with that story, with that narrative. And it highlights this really, really important component of just the way we see the gender divide around sex in this very heteronormative culture and patriarchal culture that we still live in. So was she dressing in a sexual way or was she sexualized because she was dressing in a way that was 
for her vibrant and fun and colorful and expressive. And I think a lot of women get blamed for that often when other people are attracted to them or find themselves sexualizing women, which men are often socialized to do and women are socialized to do, but for different reasons. So women are under the, the scrutiny of everyone And the way that they are just existing in the world is often up for critique, depending on whatever values and relationship with sex the person doing the critiquing or observing has within them. Now, meanwhile, Erin Brockovich is like, oh, that sure has polka dots. I like it. I'm going to wear that. And she happens to have breasts. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. So it's, it's an interesting double standard that we have in the way that we um, often condition women to play up their appearance and then shame them and criticize them and assume that they are being sexual to get attention or to accomplish a goal. This is an important conversation because Mm -hmm. now in the generation of self, the selfie generation and putting your life out for the world to see that's filtered and oftentimes not reality and that sort of thing. How does that change the game for youth growing up today? Like my kids grew up with phones in their hands. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And what they see versus what I saw as a kid, it's impossible as a parent to shield them and nor should you because they would be left out in the world a little bit. You know what I mean? Like pornography is available. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I remember sitting at Susie Harvey's house watching it. You know what I mean? I don't know being <laughs> in with like 10 kids in the room. You know right. what I mean? So talk a little bit about what that means for us today with mm-hmm. all the sexy selfies and, and things like that. And, you know, is it sexualized? Is it sexually charged? Is it just proud? What should we look at? What do we... Well, there's a couple of things that I think are important to to highlight when we're talking about youth today. One, they are exposed to pornography so much younger than previous generations because it is so widely available and for free, right? Even by accident, they might be Googling something like getting my period and then they're bombarded with images that are related to porn as well as medical images. So I think that it's important to realize exactly what you said, that shielding your kids from this conversation leaves them ill-equipped and unprepared. What's more effective is to talk about sex with them in a way that's developmentally appropriate, but also gives them the skills and the tools that they need to think critically about sex, to think critically about the porn that they're being exposed to. Because without that education, many children see porn and they think, oh, that's what sex looks like in real life. Yes. And it doesn't right? It's heavily edited. It's, it's, it's airbrushed. It's all the things. And we're seeing a generation of kids whose relationship with sex has been formulated through that lens. And so in real life, they're experiencing a lot of struggles with body image. Their bodies aren't performing the way they see in porn. So they're internalizing that as some sort of benchmark of inadequacy in themselves or they're not communicating appropriately about things like consent and boundaries and aftercare and all the things that go into a healthy relationship with sex. So important to have the conversation because, you know, my, I was just having this conversation with my daughter and, Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about sex and um, I can't remember how we got into it, but we got into it kind of through a backdoor, very natural way. 
And we were having an open conversation about it and she was inquisitive about it. And I was taught, we're talking about the first time, you know, what's it like the first time? Mm -hmm. And it, for the first time it hit me about what that first time is really like and who you have it with and how so many people can have terrible experiences. Mm -hmm. And then it, I thought to myself, if he if he's not like a very kind and gentle experienced man mm -hmm. what it would be like to have sex with someone who was just wanted to fuck pardon right. my french you know what i mean although mm -hmm. it's perfectly good english <laughs> for someone who just wanted to fuck versus for the first time like yeah. that could be really traumatizing it can you know be. what i mean for yeah. a young girl you know or for a young boy so it yeah, really can be that a little bit. Yeah. Well, well, again, we're seeing a lot of young people enter this world of young adulthood and they think that what they see in mainstream porn is what sex should look like. Yeah. And it doesn't always feel good for them. Yes. regardless of their gender, um, because they're trying to mimic something that they have no real conditioning for, and they have no understanding of why or how or what makes that happen. It, it would be as if you and I went to go compete in the Olympics as bobsledders. I'm going to just take a, I'm going to take a chance and say, you've never bobsled before. Nope. <laughs> right. Neither have I. So if you and I went to do that, we would be clumsy and awkward, and we would be comparing our experience to the professional bobsledders. Yeah, or I try to push it so fast and kill myself, right? Right, exactly. You're mimicking what you saw, which is not really the way it's done. Right, right. Okay, interesting. So, so we're really doing our kids a disadvantage and a disservice by not teaching them porn literacy and not teaching them about healthy sex and not giving them secular information from which they can understand their bodies and understand things like consent and then apply their values on top of that. Is there any reading that you can offer parents for kids? Because then I want to get into the parents. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know or a book that they could give their child or something like that. You know, if you have anything to offer or a place I, to Google or look in your website, maybe there's something that, because I know you've written plenty of books. No <laughs> books you're yet. You're in the process um, of. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm writing some books right now, but we, we have a ton of content in terms of blogs on our website. People can definitely check that out, but there are a bunch of great resources and I can email you some additional ones, but what's great. coming to mind is a social media account on Instagram called consent parenting. I think they do a really great job of helping parents navigate this conversation of consent, helping them think about how to educate their kids on people who may be predatory and don't have their best interests in mind. And there's a ton of other educational resources on how to talk to kids about sex and how to, at an age appropriate way, start that dialogue so that it's integrated into who they are when they're young. They learn yes. about things like, I don't have to give uncle so-and-so a hug because this is my body yes. and I get to govern my own body. That's a really great early way to teach kids about agency in their own skin, which sets them up to have a healthier relationship with sex when they get older. That is like, I wish I could put that in neon right now. Because it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I can apply it to my own childhood and I was, you know, a kid of the seventies, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you know, a lot less was talked about and, you know, freedom was ringing and there was a lot of change happening at that time. Mm -hmm. And my parents had no idea to have that conversation. And I had no idea to say, hey, you can't touch me like that. You know, and it was just right. kind of like you just dealt with it and put mm -hmm. it away somewhere. So mm -hmm. I think that this is a nice time to segue into yeah, we got to get our kids better educated and, and better prepared and, and mm -hmm. be open about things. And I want to talk about the sex positive movement, because I think that this really chimes into 
what our youth should be looking at down the lens of the future and where we need to remind ourselves as adults what it really means. So I'm actually going to read this. Okay. And and you can tell me because I got it online, but you can tell me if you think it's it's right or not. So it says the sex positive movement is a social and philosophical movement that seeks to change cultural attitudes and norms around sexuality, promoting the recognition of sexuality in the countless forms of expression it is as a natural and healthy part of the human experience and emphasizing the importance of personal sovereignty, safer sex practices and consensual sex free from violence or coercion. It covers every aspect of sexual identity, including gender expression, orientation, relationship to the body, body positivity, nudity, choice, relationship style choice and reproductive rights. Sex positivity is an attitude, this is what you said, towards human mm -hmm. sexuality that regards all consensual sex sexual activities as fundamentally healthy and pleasurable, encouraging sexual pleasure and experimentation. Mm -hmm. So hello, everybody. I mean, that is a mouthful, <laughs> but if yeah. you just take it down to the, the, the truest forms is it's healthy and normal to have sex. Yes. And it's not good when you're not having sex for, unless you've made a choice, right? Like, can we talk a little bit about that? It, it, like, what does it yeah. mean? Like, you don't, you don't have to be up for everything and anything, and you don't have to shame yourselves for, you know, not doing right. things you don't like or refrain from shaving others for sure but there's infinite ways to have healthy sex. Yeah, I mean, if I had to really distill it down, I think what I would say is that everyone has their own unique relationship with sex, whether it means having sex with a lot of different partners or engaging in a lot of kink or having a foot fetish or being asexual, right? An absence of sexual behavior is still a relationship with sex. These are all valid ways to be sexual. And what is important about the sex positivity movement is exactly that. There are so many ways to be valid and healthy in your sexual needs and your expression. So sex positivity does not mean that you have to be down for everything, right? Right. It does not mean that you have to have thousands of partners. It means that you define what your relationship with sex is and you don't shame or judge yourself for whatever it may consist of because you recognize that, for example, if you do have a fetish, it doesn't mean anything about your worth as a human being. It means that your sexual arousal template has developed in this way because it allows you to express something inside of yourself that is meaningful in your own play and growth and sexual spiritual connection to yourself as a human and the greater sort of collective. Do you think that there are natural triggers when the body tells itself like this isn't right? Like this is like this does like I maybe need to for some of my fetishes, like is there some type of way that people can say, I mean, might need to go talk to someone about this because this fetish is now an unhealthy fetish? Is there ways that people, you know, you have been so, through so many clinical, you know, what do you mean, like <laughs> sessions with people? Right. You know, and, and it does sometimes turn a corner where fetish mm -hmm. becomes, you know, really freaky. Are, are really unsafe. Well, I think that's I the that's say. the thing to really think about. Everyone has to define their own limits. So for one person, they might say, oh, when it gets to this level, that makes me uncomfortable, right. whatever that level might be. Mm -hmm. And I might encourage them to get curious about why does it make them uncomfortable? Are they imposing some sort of self-limiting boundary because they don't think they can do that? It doesn't feel permissible to live in that space. Or does it actually result in some sort of 
destructive consequence in their life. And I would say that's really the only barometer um, on which I get you know, curious with right. people around, is there a limit here? Is, is it leaving some sort of destructive consequence in the wake of you engaging in that behavior? If it right. is, then yeah, you might want to reconsider it. And some people might say, well, it's destructive in these ways, but I'm okay with that. And other people might say, oh no, that doesn't feel okay for that consequence to be happening. So I'm going to rein it in a little bit. The point is nothing's wrong or right. It is about experimentation. And maybe sometimes it's about experience. You were going to say something. Nothing's wrong or right. I would put a caveat on that as long as everyone's consenting. Right. As long as everyone's consenting. And it's not, you know, child pornography or something ridiculous like that. Well, they're not consenting. And they're not consenting. Or they (laughs) might be, but they don't know any better. They're a minor, right? Right, right. They can't consent. Let's talk about, you know, couples, because mm-hmm. experimentation, I think, is a word that uh, that really rings true for me and standing out. You know, when you're with the same partner for a long time, you know, how can couples, you know, improve their connection and sexual satisfaction? I mean, when you have sex with the same person for a lot of years, it could probably get pretty boring, mm-hmm. right? For some mm-hmm. people, maybe it's just like, eh, been there, done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> or it's a relationship right. thing where they're not connecting right now. They're not getting along. So they're not having sex. So they've been married for 25 years and they found a new spark and all they do is screw. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like how, how do we, how do we navigate, you know what I mean? The dry spots versus the flow and things like that. Yeah, I think it's it's so important to be in communication with your partner about where you're at in that process, because it's not realistic to expect that you're going to have sex like bunnies for the rest of your life. I mean, we live long lives and yeah. there are going to be natural wanes in people's libido, especially when they have children or if there are other stressors in their lives. So have a realistic expectation, first of all. Second, don't compare yourself to other people who might be in a different stage of their relationship or their life where they might have different set points than than you and your partner do. So you may be having more sex than your friends or less sex than your friends, and it's all okay as long as the two of you are okay with it. And if you're not, it gives you an opportunity to collaborate with each other and to talk about what your needs are. And again, sex is an area of play. It's also a conversation between partners. So if something feels disconnected there, there's likely something going on that feels disconnected in other parts of your relationship. So if you're approaching it with a non-judgment and a non-shaming attitude and just a, a mutual curiosity, it can give you a lot of information on how to enrich and renew your relationship together. So you might decide to try something new. It could be something simple like a sex toy or trying a different kind of role I play. This to our, yes. I have a feather in my hand. It's this beautiful feather. And I, lit- I got it in, in a Valentine's Day gift. It's and, beautiful. And oh, it came with handcuffs too. I'll let you know. Nice. Um, pink alloy handcuffs. But, <laughs> so I have pink alloy handcuffs in this feather. And because I was having this podcast, when I pulled it out of the box, I giggled at it and, you know, that was it. But then because of this, I thought this simple feather mm-hmm. could be something I could lay down on my husband's dinner plate before he eats it or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's food on it in his dinner space, I should say. 
and be like, we're going to play, we're going to mess with this thing tonight. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and that little thing could be something very simple, right? So I'm sure mm -hmm. that there are some suggestions for if you feel dried out in your sexual relationship, but you want to try something like I picked up this feather. Are there any, you know, sex toys or suggestions that you make particularly to clients that are just having a dry patch? I mean, it really depends on what they're into, but definitely it can be fun to just go online and, and pull up a website of a new sex toy company. That's great. Those are beautiful. Aren't they nice? <laughs> They're really nice. Well, you can even just sort of looking at what's out there can spark some giddiness and curiosity and it can start a conversation about what do you like? What haven't we explored? Or right. as you've evolved as a human, what else has become interesting to you? Because we're not static, right? We evolve, we learn new things, and we might be curious to try something that 10 years ago didn't feel accessible right. or available to us, right? So give each other space to evolve and use it as an opportunity to create newness and novelty together and play. That's a fun space to be in when yeah. you feel safe and connected. Yeah. And I think with like the relationships too, where, you know, we have to accept any relationship, we should accept any sort of love, you know what I mean? That, you know, whether it's same sex or, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's, you know, transgender and that sort of thing. But so then it begs the question that I asked earlier, which was, you know, do men and women, are we really from Mars and Venus? Do we, you know, experience it differently? Is there an orgasm gap? you know, between men and women. <laughs> I know you had a study that you posted recently about that. Can you talk I, about that a little? I, I can. Yes. So, so I want to answer your question first, are men and women from Mars and Venus? And uh, with, with no shade to the author who wrote that book, um, yeah. I I'm going to disagree that we have these, you know, biologically set differences that make us so inherently incompatible. So much of what does create a lot of that difference that that feels very resonant for many folks is the way that we have been conditioned around our gender. And so when people have more um, deep or rigid gender role expectations that can create a lot of complications around how they are relational with each other yeah. and how they do sex and what their expectations are for themselves and one another. So I think it, your answer is we're not so different, but we are because we've constructed it that way. So when we start to deconstruct it and unlearn, then we can actually create with consciousness, which is really, really amazing and can get couples out of these really stuck polarized roles that they're in into a space of more, um, openness, willingness, playfulness, spontaneity, because they're not being hindered by these arbitrary boundaries that they've sort of grown up in, if that makes sense. Sure. It does make sense. To your next point, there is an orgasm gap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's discuss. <laughs> I mean, I, I know mine, I feel like, but, you know, let's discuss. <laughs> yeah, so, so the orgasm gap, uh, this is not my study, I, and I can't remember the original authors, unfortunately, but people can Google it really easily. Um, there, there were a group of researchers who got together and polled a bunch of people who self-identified as... Um, straight, bisexual, or gay. And they looked, I believe, at binary categories of gender, I, I believe. 
And what they learned was that the people who identified as straight men had the highest occurrence of orgasms in their relationships, something like they had an orgasm 95% of the times that they were sexual with a partner. And then it went and, and looked at same-sex men. Uh, they had, I think, the second highest rate of orgasm consistency throughout their sexual experiences. And then I think it was same-sex women and then maybe bisexual women. And then straight women had the lowest incidence of orgasms in their sex life with something like, I think it was like in the 60%. So there was a 35% roughly orgasm gap. So if all these straight men are having orgasms at 95% of the times they're sexual, but women are only having orgasms 65% of the times they're sexual with men, that's, that's an issue, right? I would think so. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. does it tell us? I mean, through your years of work, what does that mean? Like women are just being left out, you know, straight, you know, women are being left out. They're not being like, they don't know how to achieve orgasm. We're not talking about it. They're not being sexually satisfied. You know, is it probably, there's 50% divorce rate and 50% of those divorces are initiated now by the female. Does it have to do with the fact that they're not having fulfilling orgasms statistically? <laughs> well, that, <laughs> I think that definitely can be a part of it. The, the divorce rate is, I mean, that's a whole separate topic. We can talk okay. about that if yes. you want. <laughs> but but um, what's happening, I think it's, it's nuanced and, and there's not necessarily one cookie cutter set of variables that fits for every single woman in every single relationship. But some of the categories of reason that stand out are women are shamed around being sexual. So a lot of the times they tamp down their sexuality and they don't even give themselves permission to go there. So that's kind of one variable. Women are sexually uh, victimized more frequently than men. So they tend to have more sexual trauma around, um, you know, all of that space. So they may have a more difficult time even advocating for themselves or feeling like it's safe to be sexual. And even if they consciously do, unconsciously, their bodies might be holding something because of fear or trauma. But I think the bigger and, and maybe more salient part of this study's results is looking at the fact that for so many men and women, there is just an absolute um, deficient level of sex education that focuses on how to please a partner with a vulva. So I think a lot of men are really well-meaning, but their their sex education comes from porn or comes from talking to other men. And when they do talk to women, they may or may not be very in the know about their own bodies anyway. Um, so it's, I think, a question of how can we get people better access to education and how can we shift a zeitgeist of male-centered pleasure when it comes to sex. Because of the ways that men and women are socialized to be sexual, men are often given the permission and the directive to be sexual, to prove their masculinity. Women are given the directive to hold on to their sexuality. So when you create this context where women are the gatekeepers for sex and worthiness, yep right? Men are trying to get something from them and it's created this sort of male-centered dynamic in straight relationships and sexual entitlement. And I don't necessarily think it's malicious for a lot of folks, but it's so ingrained in how they see themselves and relate. Yeah. Ingrained in society. You, know, yeah. you don't even know it's a part of you. It just is. Right. 
Masterclass makes your phone, web, or smart TV smarter by tuning you into a wide variety of topics all taught by world-class instructors at the top of their fields. At masterclass.com, members explore classes at their own pace and enjoy downloadable materials, class guides, recipes, and more. Masterclass has hundreds of video lessons from over 150 of today's most brilliant minds, and they're available to members anytime, anywhere. Whether it's a skill you've been wanting to develop or new ways to dig into your inner frequency, Masterclass is a pathway into the subjects and people that connect with you. Lean in and learn as four women's rights activists discuss the feminine movement, listen to Gloria Steinem, and the ways you can join the fight for equality. Dive in with neuroscience professor Matthew Walker to better understand the science of sleep or chef it along with Gordon Ramsay like me in cinema quality classes. With Gordon, I learned so much as he takes my cooking to the next level. I highly recommend you check it out. And this holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash in my heart today. That's M-A-S-T-E-R. C-L-A-S-S dot com slash in my heart. Masterclass dot com slash in my heart. Terms apply. Now back to my show. So I was watching this show and this couple were not married. They were living together and they were having major problems, like fights, like physical, terrible Mm. fights. Don't go, don't be together. Go find a new partner. Mm. Like, you know, people stay in relationships. And so that's just generally speaking, like one-on-one relationships. Is there signs and triggers for non-compatibility for sex? Like that we should be looking out for? You know what I mean? I always say, if you're fighting in the honeymoon stage of a relationship, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good sign to say, is this somebody I want to contract with? You know what I mean? What I-, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, but, but for some people, that's part of how they are in foreplay, right? It's, okay. it's maybe unconsciously a little bit arousing for them. Some people develop trauma bonds. And so they get stuck in that kind of a dynamic, or I yeah. should say they find themselves in that dynamic, not because they're saying I'm, I'm seeking that out necessarily, but unconsciously consciously, their nervous system recognizes this is familiar and it doesn't feel good, which is why there's a lot of conflict and people don't have those skills to communicate effectively. Right. But when we're talking about sexual compatibility, you, you want to know five signs of what would not be compatible? Sure. If five is what you got, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think one thing to maybe take into consideration is how does somebody talk about sex and does that work for you, right? Some people are so open about it. They are very intentional about their language. They have different kinds of importance in in discussing it. And, And when they meet somebody who maybe doesn't want to talk about it, isn't open to that, sometimes that can be a deal breaker um, because it can create a lot of conflict down the road. I think it's important to consider how do you engage in sex? Are you somebody who's more self-focused or is it important to you to find a partner who is more focused on you or you focused on them, right? We all have kind of a directional energy and it's important to consider what you need there. Some people don't like to be the focus of all the receiving of sex, right? 
Some do. Think about your, your kinks, your fetishes, your fantasies, and talk about that with people. And if there's openness and receptivity, or is there judgment, does that align for you? You know, two people may have the same kinds of fears or limits and, and okay, great. But if somebody's going to shame someone because of their desires or their interests, that's a, a really good indication that they're not okay with something in themselves. So you might want to consider if that works for you. For some right. people, it Look might. Out for that projection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so you, you know, as a licensed psychologist, you know, and sex therapist, you are both clinical and forensic. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, you've gone as far as you can, but you know, as a, you're, you know, a couples therapist and all that stuff. And you've, you've now, um, launched the modern intimacy practice. And so mm-hmm. that's a big part of what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, born out of your recognition that all humans are social and relational beings, right? Mm-hmm. And as such, mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex life. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your modern intimacy practice and, and what that means to you? Absolutely. And the people that you're helping with it. Yeah. So modern intimacy is the second group practice that I've founded now and, and the, um, the practice that remains. And we have um, presence and clinicians who work in California, Colorado, Illinois, Florida, and New York, and we're growing. Um, it's really important to me that people have a space where they can feel safe and included, no matter what is going on for them. And when it comes to sexuality, there are so many more vulnerabilities that people experience. Same with mental health. So when you combine those two, it can be part of the most sensitive parts of the mental health field and some some of the most sensitive elements of our own lives and intimate you know, secrets, expressions, fears, all the things that go in inside of us. So I really wanted to create a space where people could have access to education, expert-driven content, um, clinicians who are trained across a lot of different modalities and who really specialize in fostering a climate conducive to people talking about sex in a way where they don't have to feel scared or ashamed. Amazing. And now you're writing... Fuck you, fuck me. It's a new book that you're working on, right? Which I love. If I'm allowed to keep that title, yeah. Uh, I hope so. Well, you know, you put the little asterisks in there. So, and I've got a sailor mouth, so I'm happy to say it. Fuck you, fuck me. Rage, sex, and money in relationships in modern society is a book that you're working on now. So tell me a little bit about that book and what we should be looking out for. When it's going to, you think, be finished? I have no idea when it will be finished. It's It's been a work in progress for a few years. And it's a book really close to my heart heart because when you think about the ways that we are relational, typically we have a lot of unmet needs. And when people have unmet relational needs, they get angry. We're supposed to get angry. It helps us course correct when something doesn't feel right. But what ends up happening because, you know, in our culture, we don't really like anger. We don't talk about it constructively as frequently as we could. Um, So what ends up happening is people express their anger through these, uh, you know, weaponized ways. And we do that by weaponizing money. We do that by weaponizing status, by weaponizing power, by weaponizing sex. And all of that is, is a way for us to indirectly say, I'm hurting. And here's a vehicle to some sort of healing or reprieve. The problem 
with that strategy is that it's short-lived. So we find ourselves right back in the same debacle until we learn how to express our needs more directly. And when we do that, then our relationship with money and with sex improves tremendously because it's no longer a weapon or a vehicle for all of this anger that we're holding on to. Right, right. And then you find yourself in that kind of like, you know, falling into the patterned behavior. Right. And, you know, you can't, one of the things that I learned in therapy is like, you can't resolve everything and make it go away at all. It never really goes away what your issues are, you know, your idiosyncrasies, you know, Mm -hmm. they join around you like a small family (laughs) and you get to know them very well. Um, But I think it's to accept. Right. Except once you accept it, you'll never, it'll never go away, but you can overcome at times. And then there's times that you won't be able to, right? And that's kind of what we, we need to look at. So I love that. Keep writing it. We need it. (laughs) People are angry. And most of the time people are angry. It's because they're not communicating. They're not getting what they need. They can fall back into that pattern of anger. And then it's how you treat other people. And if you look around this country, it's pretty pissed off. Yeah, we're a very angry country right now. And the way that people are weaponizing money and sex is increasing because of that, because there are these tools out here, right? It's something that I can do to give myself a form of control where I feel helpless to get these needs met elsewhere. Yes, 100%. Yeah, Yeah. because we're not in control. I want to ask two more questions before I let you go. Um, I saw a post you did on Instagram about grand gestures and love bombing. Uh I just had to ask about and you're because it's a warning about not getting blindsided. Yeah. So can you just talk a little bit about that? And then I want to know when you're not helping all of us figure ourselves out and how to, (laughs) you know, overcome so that we can, you know, allow our idiosyncrasies to live happily ever after with us. Um, how are you finding your freedom today? What are the things that you do to find your freedom? Which question do you want me to answer first? Whatever one you want, but I, only <laughs> because I, I wanted to know about the love bombing. So that, yeah. that's just my own personal one. So if we don't have time for it, you can let it go and just get into freedom. But okay. Um, well, you know, the way that I find freedom is to be forever curious. Um, so for me, that means reading as much as I can, um, learning as much as I can. And that learning comes in the form of like, you know, all the traditional ways, reading, watching documentaries, listening to people people hearing their stories, traveling, but a lot of play and being quiet. Because for me, being curious and being quiet gives me the space to really take in what is already available in the world around me and make sense of it. So I try to meditate. I try to practice yoga regularly. Um, I love to cook. Cooking is a form of play for me. I hear you have a messy kitchen. It's so messy. <laughs> you're working it in there. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, you know, like like with sex, cooking is about experimentation and playing yes. and being okay with the things that maybe don't don't taste as good as you might have hoped, but making some, you know, some good stuff out of what is there. And I think that's a really fun space to be in. That's beautiful. She's walking that walk of experimentation, people. You better believe it. Well, I just loved it so much. Listen, I could talk to you. We literally, you know, I really revolve this about around sex, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're a specialist in so many things and we've got so many things going on, so many topics that we can discuss mm-hmm. right now. You know, mental health, you know, ta- discussions are out there in the open for mm-hmm. people to, to grab onto or grasp onto themselves and we should never stop. 
Keep I agree. talking about it. I'm so mm-hmm. grateful to have you on. I hope you'll come back. I would um, love to. You know, I mean, like we literally, you know, tip the iceberg <laughs> here. So please, before I let you go, let everybody know where they can find you because I want everybody to follow you oh, and listen you. in and lean in and try out that feather tonight. <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me to come on your show today first. I really, really appreciate the conversation and your your vibrancy around this topic. It was so fun. Um, and for people who want to follow along on some of the content that I put out in the world, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and my website, modernintimacy.com. Amazing. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Dr. Kate. We're going to have you back. There's more to come, but in love the meantime, bombing. love bombing. Yes, you're going to have to talk about it, but yes. go on Instagram and you'll find it. And, um, and I thank you so much. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to download and subscribe and follow along. We've got Dr. Kate with us, and we'll be back again next week with a new episode. Thanks so much. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.